Welcome to The Grid. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand, 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like ace-king are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're going to have some fun. You got the cards. Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me strutting. All sweating daggers. Believe it, I'm the real thing. But I gotta switch it on. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Grid. I am here today with five-time WSOP circuit ring winner, Soheb Parvandarwala. He has been super successful in both live and online poker, winning millions. And as you soon find out, sometimes he's successful in both at the same time. He's taking a little break from his World Series of Poker grind to talk about an absolutely legendary hand with Queen Deuce offsuit that took place at a WSOP circuit event in Atlantic City in 2018. Hey, Sohab, thank you for joining me. Hey, Jen, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to get you on the pod because of course, Queen Deuce Offsuit, not an easy hand to click off the grid, but you have a great hand. This was a hand that took place before I think I met you in person, but I had already heard about it. So I was super stoked when you mentioned this hand to talk about because it's so strategically insightful and in-depth. And I just think the audience is going to learn so much. Yeah, you know, so, um, I'm not one to uh, to coach, but um, sometimes you just have to let people in on your secrets. Exactly. Well, let's get into it. Tell us where, when, what point in the tournament this hand took place. It was at the 10-handed final table of the... Um, Atlantic City Harrah's uh, World Series of Poker Circuit main event in 2018 in March. And we had just gotten to the table. I think I had won a few pots and had taken over the chip lead at the time. And uh, I was playing online in the first ever, I think, online circuit ring event on WSOP.com, New Jersey. And what happened was they had told us that when we got to nine players, we were going to stop for the day. So I ordered a couple of drinks. And uh, I was ready to go go upstairs to my room once someone busted. And uh, I ended up busting somebody in 10th place. And then they told us uh, that we just had to keep playing. So uh, that, set, that set up the uh, stage for this hand where uh, I was on the button with, with Queen Deuce offsuit. And um, a maybe 18 to 20 big blind stack in middle position opened. And I shoved on the button, not seeing his open, uh, into two shorter stacks. But their stacks really didn't have anything to do with the hand. It would have been excusable, I feel like, as a spot. But I actually went all in. I said all in. I verbally declared all in after uh, seeing my cards on my computer screen or on my iPad screen where I had kings. I had not looked at my, my cards yet. But um, to uh, not give away what an idiot I am, I, I pushed a stack forward and then just kept playing my hand on, on the computer. And I folded back around to the guy that opened and he snapped with pocket jacks. I told him I hadn't looked at my hand yet. (laughs) And uh, I turned over queen deuce offsuit. Um, Lucky to even have an overcard, which I ended up hitting on the turn and eliminating the guy. 
that propelled me to an even greater chip lead and the eventual win in that tournament. What was the reaction of the rest of the table and the uh, villain in the hand? It's kind of hard to call him the villain in this hand, I have to say. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what was the reaction of them? He was very upset. He had just won a ring like the previous night or, or like two, two nights prior. And uh, he had made this final table as short stack and he got it in very good. And he was not rewarded for it. He was visually upset. The rest of the table was visually confused at what had just transpired. And the blogger was coming over to ask me what I was thinking. So that was pretty funny. So I had to explain that hand to him. Yeah, the, the table, well, first of all, was happy because there was a pay jump. And uh, second, they were confused because they didn't realize that I hadn't looked at my hand and that I was playing online. That is just so amazing. I remember hearing about this when it happened. So he was eliminated. You hit the queen on the turn. When At this moment... When you realize what you've done, like, what were you hoping for from your cards? Like, you said you're lucky to have an overcard, but did you have any vision in mind as you flipped them over? Yeah, I was hoping it was aces. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was trying to manifest. But instead, we manifested a queen on the turn, which is like aces. But maybe if you hadn't manifested aces, it would have been like three deuce or something. So, you, you know, you didn't quite get there, but it helped the hand get better. You ever think of that? It was further up on the grid than three deuce, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, the rest of the table must have at some point when they realized what really happened, they must have just thought it was hilarious, right? Yeah, they, they, they thought it was pretty funny. Everyone's uh, favorite devil's advocate, uh, Matt Glantz, was there. Sure, I, I remember the look on his face of like just utter like bewilderment. Like, how, how good can someone run? At what point did you explain to the table that you had kings on the um on the ipad on the tournament um the, the circuit online and therefore that's why you did it like did they because it sounds like at first i just thought you were totally crazy i think i uh i finished my first drink and then i explained the story about the kings online it was great because i uh, i doubled up with the kings online as well so it's like a bonus and by the way you ended up winning this for a very large cash right a six-figure cash yeah the ac circuit was for like a hundred five thousand so when this happened, I mean, I'm impressed that you were able to avoid showing, you know, your dismay at what had happened. Like, how were you able to to do that? Because I, I think so many people would have just been like, fuck or oh my like, God. Like, oh shit, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I like you have to have maintain a poker face at most times, right? Anyways, at the table. So I kind of just did that. I just pretended like it was it was a normal spot to take, you know, and Really, like that guy, just strategically speaking, that guy was like seventh in chips, right? I, um, there were ICM implications to calling with the jacks. As Jamie Gold would say, like that's that's what he gets for calling with pocket jacks. Mm-hmm. That overcard. So I ask all my guests in the grid, how would you play the hand differently today? <laughs> that's, I would probably uh, be clicking the fold button today instead of uh, pressing the all-in button. Or I'd be misclicking, you know what? I'd be misclicking all-in instead of saying all-in since we can only play online now. Exactly. But you're no stranger to multi-tabling. Like, what's the range of tables that you play um, simultaneously online? You know, I've actually cut down my tables a lot recently. Um, I, I can't handle that many anymore just because I am so used to playing live now, uh, more so than online. I'd say max, maybe like on a Sunday or something, I'd go up to 10 tables. But um, I, I don't feel comfort as comfortable doing it as like I once did maybe 20 tabling or 24 tabling, you know, when I was younger and like able to 
click more buttons faster. Yeah, without your eyes hurting and things like that. Oh, ab- absolutely. It, it feels weird to like feel old. Like, But I mean, in, in poker, 30 is kind of old still. Especially for online multi-tabling. Yeah. After you did this, did you, how'd you feel? Like, did you feel amused? I felt a lot of pressure after hitting that queen because... I mean, if, if I don't win after that, like, that's just embarrassing, right? Like, then there's no, then there, it's like not as good a story. And like, yeah, I, ma- I made this huge mistake and then I got rewarded and then I, I still punted, which I did at, at some point punt my chips back. That's just how tournaments go, right? Give and take. So your primary feeling was motivation and pressure. I, see, that's good though, because I feel like a lot of people would feel embarrassment, which is, not the best thing to feel there because you just got a pile of chips in a great tournament. Oh, come on. I've done I've done much more embarrassing things than that. This is just the one I'm talking about on a podcast. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I mean, you know, at least I got it in live. You've done more embarrassing <laughs> things in the poker table or just more embarrassing in general. What was your most embarrassing moment? Like the thing I feel most embarrassed about, like I, I'd say like when, when I was younger, I, I, I feel embarrassed for like having outbursts at a table, right? Like, like that's something that, like, I mean, you know, like you kind of get better at it with age. That's something embarrassing. But something like with regarding cards, embarrassing, I'm trying to... No, that's a good answer. I mean, that's a really good answer that you kind of lost your cool and you were mean to somebody at the table or something like that. Is that, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just something unacceptable, you know, like just tooling out over a hand or like, you know, like someone sucking out on you and like get, giving them more like a nice hand or well played or whatever, you know, like. Which I'm okay with a sarcastic well-played, but like you should definitely not berate people like as you're walking away. And like, that's something I was definitely guilty of when I was younger. So I would say, I would say that is much more embarrassing than a misclick. Definitely. I would agree with that. And also it's funny, as you mentioned, you were kind of immediately cognizant that this would make a really good story. (laughs) Yeah. And poker is all about telling stories, right? It is. Yeah, that's the kind of the concept here, this collision of strategy and storytelling in the grid. Yeah. So I'm very familiar with the Harrah's. I, I didn't go to that particular edition in 2018, but I'm really familiar with the location. But probably a lot of the listeners aren't. So give us a sense of what Atlantic City and the boardwalk is like and what playing there is like. Atlantic City is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. The boardwalk is pristine well-known for its food and rides and casino entrances and scenic water views of the uh, the Atlantic Ocean. You know, it's funny because I wasn't sure if you were trying to be sarcastic or not. I honestly really love Atlantic City. Um, I also love Atlantic City. I don't know why why people wouldn't like it. Like, I, You know, I, I have a, uh, an affinity to it because I used to go there with my dad when I was younger and like he would take me to the boardwalk to uh, go on the rides and stuff. And like I have great memories of it. And I have great memories of Atlantic City in poker too. Like that's where a lot of my live success has come in Atlantic City. That particular location, actually, it is, I mean, there are some sad things about the boardwalk and AC, just in that a lot of times it feels underpopulated, especially if you go there in the middle of the week. It doesn't seem like there's all these amenities and sometimes there's just nobody using them. Oh man, sometimes, yeah, in the off season, like when everything's closed, it's really depressing to walk there. Yeah. And there's like that 
private mall that Harris is connected to that like almost has no people in it but is like absolutely stunning and has really yeah. good restaurants yeah yeah so that was one of my memories of Harris. wow you know i wasn't actually expecting that from you i because like so many people are so cynical about ac but i i do have to um concur i've been going there since i was really young and i i do enjoy it because i i don't travel that much for poker but when i do i try to stay close or uh go for short periods of time like i'll, I'll only go to the world series normally uh for about two weeks, usually uh, towards the end during the main. So I do like AC because it's somewhere that I get to go that's close, um, somewhere that I've obtained some success. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a fun place where I can meet my friends that I otherwise wouldn't. Now, this particular hand, obviously, unsurprisingly, went viral after it it, it was played. I, I remember reading about it somewhere, Twitter, Joey Ingram tweeted about it, Poker News, everybody was talking about it. How did that aftermath feel? And that being such a successful player, both live and online, you know, this this is the hand that everybody was talking about. I mean, you have to be able to laugh at yourself. And there's plenty of humor to be found, especially after winning the tournament. But even even if I hadn't, I I thought it was funny. I, I felt bad for the guy. Like, you, ne- you never feel bad for your opponent. But like, he was just on the wrong end of, you know, someone else's good luck. I don't apologize, but I said sorry to him. The aftermath of the hand and like people talking about it. I mean, it, yeah, it was just funny. I, I got, you know, needled about it by my friends. At my home games, they started playing Queen Deuce against me. No joke. They would usually just show me like a Queen Deuce in Omaha, right? Instead of uh, in Hold'em, because it's much harder for them to to get to showdowns with Queen Deuce. But it's kind of cheating when you do it in Omaha, in my opinion. But they would always show me like, oh, look, I beat you with your hand. How about you? Do you have a fond spot for Queen Deuce now? Do you ever play it like in a in spot that you wouldn't normally play it? Sure, I'll raise it on the button, but I think I would do that anyways. I, I mostly play PLO Cash. So, you know, like if I have like Queen, Queen, Deuce, Deuce, I'll play it. I wouldn't say I have bias towards Queen Deuce, right? Because you can't play your biases like that. But uh, yeah, I would say it's a lucky hand. You don't want to be too superstitious, right? No. Um, but <laughs> start, the queen, start playing your Queen Deuce under the gun. You just start getting it in against Ace King as a flip. You want to keep it profitable, right? I mean, that's the cool thing about this. Like Queen Deuce for you lifetime is like, unless you make the main event WSOP like final table and you get like Queen Deuce all in in the blind or something because somebody's short, it's it's unlikely that you're ever going to be in the red with Queen Deuce. Yeah, unless I eternally mess it up for the rest of my life. I just misplay it every time. But seriously, in the actual hand, like what you you sound like a very aggressive player from what you're telling me. So like if you had if you had actually looked at your cards, what kind of jamming range would you have in that situation being the chip leader? Where was the opener again? Probably uh, early middle, early middle position. And you were on the button and the blinds yeah. were both eight, 18 ish big blind stacks, right? Mm-hmm. This is two years ago. I bet my range is completely different now than I than I did two years ago. I don't even want to say it because it'd be so tight. People would laugh. But uh I, I'd be folding everything to this guy, especially live when like players are not, you know, getting out of line at all. So I wouldn't go out of my way to try and win pots against someone opening from that position with that stack size. How many bigs did he have again? Uh, between like 18 and 20. Also, so the blinds and the opener all had about the same amount of chips. So what, what would be the worst queen besides queen deuce that you would jam with? Let's just forget about everything else. Just the queens. What's your queen X range? Because we know queen deuce. What else? See, now I would say like I could flat the button against this guy and just outmaneuver him post, you know, because like people give up so much post flop, even even like ace queen, maybe I, I might not shove. Maybe I'd call it instead. I, I don't know. Maybe I'd shove it some of the time. I don't think it's 
necessary to put my chips at risk in spots against people who I don't think are going to be opening light there at all. Uh, people who I don't think will be race folding rather, right? Like who's like, wouldn't have a race fold range there in my opinion. Now I'm not, I'm not sure if that's, if that assumption is right about that guy, but from what I remember, he was very tight and I probably, I, I don't think I would, I would get it in with anything. I would probably flat aces as well. I would flat everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, no, you know what? No, you know what? No, knowing that he has such a strong... No, I take that back. I would, I would probably just shove the aces knowing he's going to call. No, I don't know. So, some of the time I would. I, some of the time I would. Some of the time I wouldn't. I don't know. You would jam some hands, some pairs, like aces, some other pairs probably, but mostly you would be... I don't, I don't think... I don't think I, I... Like now that I think about it, even if I know his, his range is really strong, I would still flat aces and hope somebody behind shoves. You mentioned that your kind of thinking on these types of spots has changed a lot. Um, how's that happened? I think just talking to people, playing more, putting in more volume in tournaments, and just seeing more spots, kind of just trial and error. Now we're talking more about in a theoretical point of view, not against this particular opponent who was yeah. pretty tight and obviously wanted to make the real final table. In terms of a more generic strategy in the spot, like a not tight final table spot, what do you think your strategy has kind of shifted over the years? I think I've kind of always been a, a high variance player kind of like I'll take spots that other people might pass up on just because when I have more chips it's just going to be so much more valuable than like any any time that like I might lose the spot that I take right that that used to be like my whole driving reasoning for doing what whatever I, I would do you know I'd be like yeah like you have to take these spots I think I've learned to pass up on more spots I think I'm like confident enough where more able to like kind of grind but i'd still say i take more spots than other tournament players i I don't know like i i very much think i'm able to maneuver a bigger stack more efficiently than a than a short stack that makes sense so apparently tournament life is not really in your lexicon you know what i i don't value it as much as uh as others but i value it much more now than i did like when i was able to play more tables like now i only join tournaments like maybe a couple days a week usually like sundays and mondays i'll play tournaments it's a full day commitment if you're going to play tournaments and that's really hard to do with uh wife and kids especially uh during lockdown you had a really big uptick in poker success live uh, around 2016 was that just a function of playing more live events or did something kind of shift or sink in in your strategy um I remember leading up to like some of my wins at that time, like I had a bunch of like final two, final three table finishes where I was just coming up short. And I felt like, you know, like I kept making some of the same mistakes and each time, like, you know, it was, it was a learning experience nonetheless. So when wins come, like a lot of the time, like they come in bunches. Uh, That's always kind of how it's been for me. Like maybe I'm just a streaky player, but I don't know. Sometimes like, you know, like confidence breeds more success. Like when, when you win, like you'll just like feel like, you know, like you're doing something right. When you lose, you might feel like you're doing something wrong. You know, that's not like a good mentality all the time. When you are losing, it'll, it'll make you, you know, like kind of reevaluate what you're doing and, you know, like try to try to plug some leaks. There was a time when like, I like kind of got like bored of poker and like stopped talking about it with friends. And like, I would just tune out hand histories I mean, I, I always love poker, strategy games in general. Like I've always been a fan of. So if I wasn't going to do poker, like I wasn't sure what else I really wanted to do with like all my time. So I fell back in love with poker 
instead of, uh, of you know doing anything else. I think in 2016, I honestly won the last tournament that I had planned on playing. It was a it was a ring event at Foxwoods, and uh, I was getting a job the following week. I won it for my biggest score ever, and that kind of motivated me to to try and learn more and like just take more time and uh, talk more poker. And when I started traveling more to play, like you know, with my newly found bankroll, and like I just met you know like my my friends again who like I used to play a lot with and like just realized like you know I, I miss playing so I started playing more it was kind of like a fork in the road then when you won that $125,000 you know it really was um because I had told my wife actually that you know like I was I was gonna get a get a job because like I just wasn't having fun playing tournaments anymore but even after that really I, I played mostly cash I, I had a lot more fun playing cash because I could make my own hours and play in games that were you know, full of very interesting characters, just like fun, fun home games. And what was your job going to be if you didn't win that event? So that was the, the one of the other circuit wins that you that you won. You won five. I have a degree in journalism and I, I really do like to write. So I was going to try to get um, an editing job at, at my local paper where, where I used to uh, intern when I was in high school. What did you want to write about? Uh, well, I, I wanted to uh, to be a copy editor. I also would have wanted to to write about uh, just local stuff, local journalism. That's great. And now, are you able to um, channel that passion you have for writing at all? Twitter is the closest I come to to writing. Yes, and you are very good at it. In fact, David Laffin called you one of the most underrated Twitter feeds on his podcast, uh, The Chip Race with You. And for once, I can agree with him on something. So <laughs> here's a recent one that you wrote. You said that I want a fake online bracelet more than I've ever wanted a real live bracelet. I would even wear it to live events in the future and argue with people that it's just as real as a live bracelet. Anytime somebody told me it wasn't, that gives me a very vivid image. And it also <laughs> makes me wonder how often are you wearing these rings out? You know, putting one on each finger? Well, I haven't gotten the last two, but um, I have never worn them. I think I think that's a pretty normal answer. Uh, I don't wear them around the house. I don't wear them to poker tournaments. But maybe once I, once I get the other two, I'll just like wear like a handful and just you know go go play like a hundred twenty dollar nightly at Foxwoods or something. Yeah, I think you definitely should, and definitely tweet about it. I'll wear a WPT hoodie, EPT hat. And by the way, I'm not hating on it. I mean, I think that it's totally fun if somebody wants to wear their. No, I I absolutely agree. It's it's just something I wouldn't want to like advertise right at a table. Like I think you want people to play with as little information against you as they possibly can. So like if if someone's comfortable wearing it, like yeah, more more power to them, right? It's just I wouldn't want that kind of attention. Like I wouldn't want someone asking me where I won my ring. But if I won a bracelet on the internet, that's a completely different story. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to wear it everywhere. There's a conversational point there that it's controversial, these online bracelets. And you clearly because believe- it's such a joke. <laughs> I mean, who cares, really? Like everyone understands what this is. This is just WSOP doing a little money grab because they're not making money this summer. It's just a normal schedule on WSOP, like one higher buy-in mixed in a day, basically. it's uh, They have one bracelet event a day. And uh, it really kind of just looks like the uh, the ring event series, is that they, the circuit events that they have online, but just with slightly higher buy-ins and, and a bracelet. 
as opposed to a ring, which you want because yeah. you have won um, a ring online. Now, in their defense, from a utilitarian point of view, uh, people love bracelets. They dream of getting bracelets. So Absolutely. Listen, I'm in Jersey right now for the next 30 days uh, trying to win my fake bracelet. And and once I do, it's going to be real. It's going to be real. It's just as any other bracelet. I mean, I haven't looked into it uh, because I'm not playing, but I know that the the rake is, is high. Uh, but just beyond all of those discussions, just the fact that people can, you know, people can win something that they feel really proud of and is going to be like that they're going to take to their grave. You know, that's that's cool. You know, it's a really t- tough time. Like a lot of people are going to be happy and I guess a lot of bankrolls are also going to be busted. So it's complicated. But yeah, um, I mean, that's been a trend recently anyways with all these big series online. I mean, it's it's getting just more and more expensive to play. With the uh, re-entry and everything. Especially with the unlimited re-entries, up to like 10 big blinds. And so, some some tournaments you can register up to like, you know, like where you have five big blinds. That's hard for variants if you don't have a big bankroll. But in terms of strategy, that's actually like kind of like a potential money grab. Because if you can enter with five big blinds close to the money, it's just very, very profitable proposition often. On some sites, you literally can't just register right at the end. And sometimes you don't even need to double up to make the money. You you register a tournament and then you bust and re-entry is still open. What are you going to do? You know, like mama ain't raised no punk. Seriously, though, that re-entry period and the fact that it can be profitable, <laughs> you have to, you know, it's important to remember in poker, any kind of profit that you make is taking from somebody else, right? It's a zero-sum yeah, game. So Zero-sum. So if, if a lot of people are late entering and that's profitable, it makes you wonder, um, where is that money coming from? Well, obviously, it's coming from people that registered on time. It's not good. It's not good for, you know, the overall economy of the game. It's the same reason, like, a lot of home games, guys, like, you take the money too fast from the fish, and you can't do that. You have to, like, especially in tournaments, like, everyone should have a chance to win. Like that's that's the spirit of tournament poker, right? Like these like unlimited re-entries where uh, you know, like you can just keep re-entering. Like so, some people with large bankrolls can just, you know, like get in, you know, to like a fifty dollar tournament ten times or more in like the five hour late registration period. That's not fair to the guy, you know, who signed up at level one or two and like, you know, like or satellited in and uh has been playing on time and stands almost no shot at winning. It's getting tougher and tougher to eat online anyways with all these uh, solvers and whatnot. Oh, and that brings me to another tweet that you wrote. You said it so eloquently in the tweet with your writing <laughs> background. I got to read this on the air. This is uh, Soheb's words, not mine. What a time to be studying poker. Such a treasure trove of knowledge out there. You just have to be willing to look. To all the streamers, training site video makers, solvers, and coaches, from the bottom of my heart, go fuck yourselves. Amen. <laughs> truer words <laughs> so can you elaborate on that for us um all right i'm not gonna say like i never study poker right because like but like most most of my studying comes from like talking with friends or like doing hand history reviews with friends but like i've had subscriptions to like run it once and like other sites before um poker x factor way back in the day hard runners it's just so diluted now. There's just so many training sites. Everyone just wants to make money off of like what they know. It's just getting harder and harder to win because people are solving, like playing closer to equilibrium. A lot of people like they'll see this and they won't know what to do with like all this information. 
I'm speaking mostly about myself. I have no idea what the fuck to do when I look at a uh, a sim or like a uh, a, a pio chart or whatever. I know it's not rocket science. I know like, but it's just not something that I enjoy. I enjoy learning from my mistakes. I, I enjoy like, you know, talking with my friends. But that's not to say like, there's not a place for all this other stuff, right? Like the solvers, like there needs to be some kind of limit. There's people, you know, with like computers running real-time assistance with solvers running in the background while they're playing these tournaments. It's, it's actually funny. I'm, I'm staying with someone in New Jersey right now who's like a big Pio guy, right? He's a... Uh, He's like really like big into studying. Like he like it's probably like 60, 65% study and like 30, 35, 40% play for him. So like his his approach is completely different. Like I I wanted to stay with someone who would kind of like break me out of my habit of not studying. Cause there, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with like trying to get better. You know, like that's not what the tweet was meant for. It was more towards like I'd say the pariah nature of like a lot of people like trying to sell their information. I play poker for fun. I don't play in like the biggest games I can. Like I, I play in fun games with fun people mostly. And then I play tournaments, which are also like the most fun variant of poker, at least as far as no limit goes. Now with the strength of uh, all these training tools and, and solvers, I feel like I observe a shift in poker to seeing it as like some kind of networking tool and self-improvement mirror. And I believe that is part of the reason that like all of these not just getting better at poker tools. It seems like there's just a real proliferation of mental game stuff, stuff kind of comparing poker to life and all that. And a lot of it, you know, obviously the quality differs enormously, but you can certainly say that there's poker is such a brutal game that if you um, pay close attention, you're definitely going to find things about yourself that if you didn't play poker, you might never know. Yeah, that's very true. I know one thing I would never be able to stream because like I would just embarrass myself on stream. Like all these people like that are streaming on Twitch live and like letting you see like their raw emotions, like props to them for real, because like that's just not something I'd be able to do while playing. Like when I when I'm playing at home, you know, like I'm pacing around, I'm like, you know, like I'm exclaiming like what when I when I went a hand like it's not like live you know like live I'll keep a poker face uh, at at home I'm I'm just having fun I've seen people break their mouse on on Twitch it, it is actually kind of funny and I can totally relate to it and uh it, it's it's funny it's hard for me to relate to that I guess I, I maybe that you know because I guess I'm playing on Poker Stars PA so like the <laughs> the prizes can't possibly be like that big that I would get out of you know really really upset like. I'll, I'll say this. I haven't, I haven't broken a mouse in years, but like, that's just like, as like an extreme example. What was the most expensive thing that you broke because you were upset about poker? Maybe I've broken a computer. I don't, I, don't, I mean, nothing recent, you know, like I, I can't be having outbursts like that in front of uh, kids like that I'm trying to raise. <laughs> you have to control yourself to some extent, I guess. I've, I've definitely broken a mouse or two or three. I'm trying to think if I've ever like, you know, like slammed my computer shut and like maybe like it's gone into like reboot mode or something. I've never like punched a screen or anything like that's counterproductive. Like mice come in uh, packages. Yeah. And the other thing about a mouse is that it's like actually like partially responsible for your pain. Like the the computer doesn't really deserve any. The mouse mouse is kind of like an extension of your hand, right? Yes. And like you definitely don't want to break your hand because that's even worse. Exactly. So 
So what's one to do? Not that I advocate it, but I can say like I, it's more understandable than breaking like almost anything else. I must say, um, especially yeah. if it's like a cheapo, like you know, I, I don't know what the least expensive mice are, but like you know, fifteen bucks, twenty bucks probably, um, for just yeah. like a little basic one. <laughs> so that's all right. Not that it's recommended. For a while, I stopped buying mice. It wasn't even like poker that would make me break them. It was just like I was like dropping them, and they would they would break. So for a while, like I was like eight to 10 tabling with uh, just the mouse pad on, on my laptop. I mean, that just became very tough to do. Kind of need a mouse if you're going to multi-table. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you probably got a lot of misclicks. Bringing us to the original misclick of this episode with the Queen Deuce Off. And the idea that you learn something things about life from poker, in this case, you mentioned, I think, the poker news reporter or the blogger who was covering this, that you should do less multitasking. Is that something that you, obviously, maybe that was tongue in cheek, but tell us about like multitasking and your life. Well, I am always multitasking. I mean, I definitely didn't heed my own advice there, but... You know, like I'll be, I'll be in the middle of a session and like my, do- my daughter will come down, like, you know, and she'll say like, do this with me or do that with me. So I'll take my laptop somewhere else and I'll just disconnect from like any external monitor I'm on and just, you know, go, go play with her. Or uh, like if my wife's busy, like I've, I've even like been multi-tabling and changed a diaper before. I mean, sometimes you just have to be multi-tabling. Like uh, otherwise, like if, if I, if I, if I had to pick, like I would just have to not play poker. I kind of like get the best of both worlds. I agree with that. So basically, as a dad, you don't see multitasking as a negative, but almost as a privilege. Absolutely. It's a privilege to be playing poker, honestly. Like I could I could be doing something that I don't enjoy, you know, to support my family. But instead, I get to do something I like and I get to do it from my house mostly now, even pre-COVID. Like I was mostly playing at home or home games at night after uh, after the kids slept. So it is cool. Like I said, like my volumes just dropped even more during quarantine. What do your kids, uh, two daughters, think about poker? Do they do they know much about it? Have they gotten a chance to see you play live at all? I mean, not live. No. Obviously, they're not allowed in casinos. <laughs> no, as, as much as I'd like to bring my daughter as like an emotional support person and like sit her in my lap while I'm playing live, um, <laughs> I don't think they would allow that. But man, I consider them my lucky charms. Like I will purposely take uh, take flips that I might uh, that might, I might otherwise not take, knowing that I can't lose with them in my hand. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I have a third daughter now, right? I have three daughters, and she's uh, she's turning eight months old. She has just been so lucky. Like I I always am taking care of her while, while playing. Like I I love having her in my lap. Like and she's so calm. She just learned how to crawl, so like now she uh, she gets away from me. It's, it's fun, you know, chasing her around with the laptop in my hand. What's her name? Her name is Noor, N-O-O-R. And what was the luckiest thing that happened when you were playing with Noor? I got second in a tournament on ACR, actually, for, for my biggest score ever a couple months ago. And she was pretty much in my lap, like, during all the big moments. I, I remember, like, I, I would just pick her up and be like, all right, here we go. We're all in. And just never losing it all in, man. It's insane. Like, obviously, just just running good. You know, she was always there. Whoa, more than 125,000. Yeah. Wow, that's that's great. Well, you sound like the luckiest man in, in the world. I mean, to be playing with <laughs> an eight-month-old daughter while winning um, six figures. It was pretty great. Every time I was in a big spot, I would pick up Noor and be like, all right, we're going for it. 
and just all the chips would come sliding in our direction every time. So is that your most memorable um, like poker victory? Because I meant to ask you about the five rings that you won, which one kind of stood out the most, but maybe it's this ACR tournament that stood out the most. This one sticks out for a couple of reasons. One being that it, it, it is the biggest and the other being <laughs> that I disconnected while I was heads up and the guy actually waited for me to get back. The guy waited for you to get back and then you beat him. No, no. He beat me. First place was 200,000. Right. You got Uh, second. That's right. Okay. So. I had a small chip lead when when I disconnected. Actually, we were in the middle of a hand and I had made a flush on the turn and it could have been the last street of the tournament because he had made two pair. He told me later, but I disconnected and uh, I couldn't get back in time for that hand, but uh, I I must have missed like 10 or 12 hands after that. And uh, at least I would say. And yeah, he, he just sat out. And you know what? This, he was actually streaming at the time. Uh, this was a, a Brazilian player named, uh, named Patrick uh, Ulissia. He streams on, uh, on Twitch. He has a really fun stream. I, I watched it uh, once after that. Like it, it, It's all in Brazil, uh, Portuguese, but uh, it was just so much energy. Every time someone would like subscribe, like there, there'd be this absurd song that was playing right, that would come up and pop up and just like blast. And he would just be singing along to it every single time. Like he was just like so full of energy, but like he was also just such a good sport. That's amazing. And I'm going to have to find uh, afterwards, you're going to have to link me to his Twitch. So I'll give him a follow and yeah, link, for sure. link to it in the show notes, because that's a remarkable story. I mean, I know like on Twitter, sometimes you're cynical, but I have to say, I think there's that kind of duality that usually people who are kind of inherently positive also have to be negative sometimes too. Because I, I have that as well. And I don't know, like to me, like I just think there's so many people who would, you know, you know, be bitching about like the fact that they had a flush and they disconnected and you know, like this, that doesn't really matter to you. You ended up getting second and having such a memorable experience. I'll say there is a lot to be cynical about, but there's also a lot to uh, feel good about. Regarding that hand, um, I mean, in the moment I was, I was panicking, right? I'm like, well, he's just going to blind me out. Like, I mean, I, I would have won the tournament. Like it's, you know, it's, it's shitty. But, uh, you know, my, my friend called me and told me that that he was sitting out like that, that calmed me down. Also, like it really like gave me like a different perspective, you know, like it's like poker, like will make you cynical. I mean, it, it's mentally taxing sometimes. It's tough to stay positive all the time. It's also important to try and maintain some sort of positive attitude. It'll kind of resonate with like the people that are close to you as well. You can't make people miserable around you just because like you had like a losing month or something. Yeah, that's uh, it's really good advice. And any final advice for people about, you know, family and poker? Because, you know, I actually didn't realize you had three kids. For some reason, I thought you had two. So that makes you even more of like a... I did. I had, I had two kids for a long time. And then suddenly there, there were three. Yeah, well, that's true. Because I guess <laughs> when I saw you last, you only had two. So yeah, because yeah, so, that was at the WSOP 2019. And yes, so, bust out dinner. Yeah, you had two kids at the time. But now that you have three and you're, you're still kicking butt in poker, it, it feels like you're even more of an authority because it's kind of a, a blessing these days to have three kids. You don't hear about it that often, you know, a lot, especially from like poker players or people in, you know, creative or, you know, industries that require a lot of travel. I, I'd say it's pretty rare. I mean, the only advice is, you know, like you have to prioritize you have to know you know like what you want and just don't forget family comes first like poker is just a game i mean i've always played poker for fun and the fact that i was able to make money at it was just a bonus i really do feel very lucky to like i did not think i'd be playing poker like i, I started playing poker like in, in uh probably in middle school 2004 maybe, maybe high school maybe when i was a freshman in high school and like i started playing for play money 
And um, obviously then I didn't think I'd be playing poker still, especially for any any serious stakes. I consider myself very lucky to, to still be doing what I love. Yeah, well, it's great to see that you're able to use poker to make you more of a family man, because that is the other side of the coin, right? As opposed to this reputation it often has from taking people away from their families, which certainly happens sometimes. You have that kind of opposite experience of being able to use it to have more freedom, which totally amazing. Yeah, I've got a really long leash, if, if you will. Like, I mean, I can travel whenever I want. I just don't want to, you know, like it's like some, sometimes like when you're able to do something like, you know, like you just won't want to do it anymore. Like I, I don't, I don't want to go to like all the WSOP stops or WPT stops. Like I want to stay close to home. I want to be able to come home at, at the drop of a dime. Like I don't want to like take long trips because I can do what I do and stay close to home. So there's just no, uh, no incentive. You want to see your first walk of your, of your third daughter. By the way, I was reading an interview with you where you were talking about India, about how your family had visited India. So like they were still there. So you were happy to kind of be on the circuit. Do you have family in India? Yes. My, uh, my wife's family, her mom and dad both live in India. And did you get to do any poker stuff when you were in India? Yes, I, I have. I've been to Goa where they have um, poker on some boats over there. It's not legal on land, but you can take like a little boat onto a onto a cruise ship sort of thing and play there. It's kind of like they have uh, in Mississippi and places like that, I think. Right, right. So similar laws. Yeah. And last time I went, I actually played in a home game over there. It was just really interesting meeting, uh, you know, like people from like people who kind of like like doing the same thing that I do, but from like a completely different part of the world, you know, and like they were really interested in like hearing about poker in America. And I dumped a few buy-ins to them. They were happy with that, too. And uh, we all had fun. And then I and then I took a rickshaw home. I, I actually told my mom about that. And she like freaked out. She's like, how could you go like gambling somewhere? Like, you know, like you don't even know these people like. You know, like it's so dangerous over there, but I don't know. I mean, she might be right. Like I'm, I'm probably too, uh, too trustworthy of people sometimes, but poker in India is like a huge, huge market right now. They have, uh, they have so many sites. I've seen a lot of uh, Indian players playing online recently, uh, like on ACR and other sites. Yeah. And there's a poker stars India site as well. So yeah, yeah we yeah, have a, we have a couple of pros from India indeed. Mm-hmm. That just sounds like such an incredible experience. Like it must be so much fun going to India, seeing family, getting a little poker in. But seriously, yeah. thank you so much for your time and telling us this crazy hand history with Queen Dusoff. Now, I mentioned earlier your Twitter feed. It is at Spooheb, S-P-E-W-H-E-B, correct? Did you say Spooheb? Wait, what, what is it? What I've is never it? heard it pronounced. It's Spooheb. Wait, I... <laughs> Wait, you, you've always pronounced it Spooheb? That's amazing. Well, I don't think I ever said it out loud until now. Uh, um, well, yeah, but you, but but when you think of it, you, you say it out loud in your head and like you, you read it as Spooheb. Yes. Wait, <laughs> say it the right way again? Spewheb. Like like spewing. Yeah, I guess I'm mispronouncing spew. I am. I, wow, you uncovered another one of my crazy Philadelphia mispronunciations. Oh, okay. I was wondering if that was like an accent thing. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe I just don't spew enough. So I'm mispronouncing Maybe. it. I'm I'm doing it wrong. I need to I need to get in there with the Queen Deuce offsuit a little bit more. That's fun. I I won't make fun of your accent. People make fun of my accent in India. Oh, because it's too American. Yeah, because I can I can speak Hindi, but I I speak it with a uh, an American accent. So like they'll like you know exaggerate and like 
kind of imitate how I talk and like they'll like try to speak Hindi in an English accent. Yeah, that's funny. How do when when people make fun of Americans, I don't know exactly like what words they use to make fun of us in the American accent. Like is there something that they just that the phrase that they say that just just to mock you? Yeah, um Donald Trump. Well, you're, yeah, that's 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 pretty bad, you're right. I mean, we could just end with that. But again, there's plenty to be cynical about and plenty to be uh, feeling good about. Well, spew obviously comes from your poker style and heb comes from the second syllable of your name. So I, I, I put it together just now. <laughs> yeah, um, my friends gave me that name a long time ago. It sounds very appropriate. And I, yeah, now, now I'm even pronouncing it correctly. Spew heb. At Twitter, on, at Twitter, Spewheb, Queen Do Softsuit, and we'll be looking for you um, at the table with your, your five rings and your many bracelets. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks. Thank you so much for listening to The Poker Grid. Go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast network. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings. They really do help. We also have a new mailing list, so go ahead and subscribe to that on thepokergrid.com slash subscribe. Finally, if you're looking for a way to support me and my projects, I'm the Women's Program Director at US Chess, and we're trying to equalize the field in the mind sports arena. You can go to uschess.org and pick a donation of any size. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to The Poker Grid as we count down 169 hands. No one ever bust They say I'm lucky Oh no, no need to bluff With all the cheap tricks up my sleeve Yeah, I got talent You won't see me, see me stunting No, never, never stagger Believe it, I'm the real thing